Um, we are in the second part of a four-part series called the Psalms of Asaph. And uh, each summer, um, for the last several summers, we've um, collaborated with many churches in the Denver metro area um, to do a shared sermon series together, meaning uh, many of our pastors get together in the early spring. We plan out um, kind of some uh, ideas and sermons for this for this shared sermon series. And um, one of the coolest parts is that we share preachers. So um, oftentimes, like, uh, I didn't get invited, weird. But, uh, <clears throat> like, I would prepare a message and preach it maybe here, but then I would preach it at another church and another church and another church. While I'm preaching at that church, that pastor would come here. And so it's, it's a cool way to get to see and worship with other um, churches in the, in the metro area. And today we get to welcome um, one of our friends from Westside Church International now. And Westside Church is um, one of the churches, well, the first church and only church that we've helped start. Uh, but we helped plant that last year. It's on the west side of town. And um, Mambo De Leon, who many of you met, uh, who was on our staff for a period of time, went out and uh, is one of the co-lead pastors of that church. But the guy that makes things happen, the guy that's maybe not always up front, but uh, he's the glue. In fact, he was taking calls before our service, ironing out issues that are happening over there right now. Um, he's the first guy you call. Um, Johan Luque. Johan, come on up. Let's give Johan a welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Johan and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years just through his work at Westside, and uh, we do staff trainings together, and um, Johan introduced me to Colombian food. Um, there's a great place over on Broadway. Uh, maybe if he likes you, he'll take you um, after today. Um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Johan is the father of three kids and had a kid, um, six, oh, they're in the back. Oh, hi, guys. <laughs> um, and Johan's originally from Colombia, and um, so I always have special place in my heart and just, like, in awe of um, Johan when he speaks publicly and Mambo, too, because English is your second language. Mm-hmm. And so um, not only are you smart and a great teacher and preacher, but you're um, translating all of this in your mind as you're preaching. So pretty incredible and shows the... Um, the magnitude of your skill and your talents. So um, I'll stop talking, and Johan will take over. So, All right, thank you, Dan. And thank you, um, New Denver, for allowing me to be here and just share. And, and yeah, I, I hope and I, my prayer has been that this message would, would be of encouragement and motivation and preparation for, for, for some and maybe for some, it will speak to you at this moment in your life. Maybe for some, it might not relate to you. Uh, and that's uh, my baby crying over there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm from Colombia, and, and I have been here in, 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 this, in the United States for 13 years, and has been a journey, a journey of, of, of getting to know God and myself better. And this message, um, it relates to me when, when Norton asked me, um, you know, do, would you like to preach? And I said, well, um, yeah, but I'm, you know, I thought I was busy at church. I was coming from vacation. So this is my third week uh, out of, you know, not being at church. And some people started to offend friend me on Facebook. <laughs> like, oh, maybe he's just gone. So, uh, yeah, they were... They will friend 
it will be my friends again. So this message um, relates to me, and I was really like, okay, which of all the Psalms of Asaph should I preach on? And this one, somehow, when I was reading all of, through all the Psalms, spoke to me uh, for a, because of a specific situation in my life. And, and as an introduction, I wanted to share with you something that happened somewhere in 19, uh, the 1960s. That's, that wasn't me, uh, uh, but it's just this was this crazy uh, uh, teenager. Uh, he was um, just into, I don't know, I think they concluded that he was a little bit, uh, they had some dysfunctions, but he wanted to break a world record. And he wanted to be the person that lasted the most um, awake. And he did it for 11 days. And, and you know, science has proved that you can die from that quicker than from starving. So, and he did it, that's just picture, 264 hours just being awake. And at the end of that, he was just, you know, hallucinating and going crazy, but he did it. So he's the one in the books. And, and you know, and, and for all of us, you know, sleeping is, is a gift. We, we spend about a third or maybe 25% of our lives sleeping, right? So if you die when you're 100, just add up, you may have slept maybe 30, 25 years of those. So it's not a waste of time for some people that are really into production and productivity. They really say, no, we just have to be productive, and they only sleep, you know, five hours, six hours. For some, you know, and the medical recommendation is eight, seven hours for, for adults. So it's a gift, right? And, and resting is a treasure. And God gave that to us, resting, and the ability to go in the night and close your eyes and wake up the next day knowing that it's a new day, that everything that happened the day before is gone. It's, there is Nothing is going to be changed that, that morning. So resting and sleeping well is a gift. So, and, and, and this teenager, he just wanted to reverse you know, nature, and he went 11 days without sleeping. So for all of us, sleeping is a gift that sometimes gets stolen from us. There are days in our lives when we wake up in the middle of the night, right, and we ask the question, what's happening? I want to go back to sleep, right? And we can't. And we start thinking of all the problems, all the issues, all the challenges, distress, trouble, right? So what to do? What to do when distress steals our sleep? What to do when distress steals our sleep? And this psalm, Psalm 27, uh, 77, I'm sorry, 77, speaks of Asaph, and you, you guys learned from, from Norton last week a lot about this guy, and I want try to try to bring a lot of that, and just maybe a few pieces, and maybe just remind you that he was one of the three top guys from King David. It's about a thousand years before Christ. He was one of the three main guys that would gather the nation in worship and leading the congregation, the assembly of, of, of Israelites towards the worship of God. And we know that back then, worship was not just a, a, one of the things that people do. That was their identity, culturally and 
and in the religion, they, it, was, it was the same thing. For us, we have a division. There is a culture and there is a religion. Back then, it was the whole thing. This guy was top three. Just picture the president with these three main guys, and he was one of those guys. So that was Asaph. And next to that, he was you know, one of the worship directors. He was also a prophet. And one of the things that the prophets had in their heart was a pain for the community, paying for what was happening with Israel. So we know that after David, who remembers who, who, who comes after David, King David? Solomon, right? And he was a king that was giving a lot of promises, a lot of good things, a lot of, of promises that some people in Israel thought that he was going to be the Messiah, the, the person that was going to keep the peace in Israel forever. But this King Solomon, he transitioned from being a good king, and he, we know, when you open any page in the book, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you will know that this guy really walked away from God. And so some of, some of scholars have concluded, because we don't know exactly what's happening with Asaph in, in Psalm 77, what is causing this distress what is causing this waking up in the middle of the night? Some scholars have concluded that this, this um, season of King Solomon being so, you know, away from God and resistant and prideful and arrogant and just living la vida loca, you know, like uh, Ricky Martin used to say, um, we don't know if some scholars have, have said that because of the pain that he was causing to the assembly of Israelites, Asaph, as a prophet, was speaking and speaking through to God because of the pain that it was causing and the injustice that he was bringing. And we know that one of the core principles, of the, one of the core elements in the good relationship that the Israelites had with God back then and still is faithfulness and obedience. And all that God asked for his leaders in the Old Testament was, just be faithful to me, and everything is going to be okay. I'm going to take care of, my, of all my people. That was the core foundation of the relationship. And it's, it's, it's not works, it's not deeds, but it's, it's a principle. Faithfulness is still a value for us. So it is possible when we start reading this psalm that we are going to we, that we might read this through, through the lenses of probably Asaph in itself. He wasn't, he, he, he wasn't dealing with a personal issue, but possi- possibly he was dealing with the tension and the distress that the whole people of Israel was starting to feel because of Solomon disobedient and walking away from God. So that's kind of the context Possibly, we're not sure, but I, I personally feel that that is the context for the pain that he was feeling. Because he was a prophet, because he was a leader in, in the community, God, the Holy Spirit, was, would touch his heart and start feeling, why is this happening? So, what to do when distress wakes you up in the middle of the night? So, the first thing that we see in this psalm is... Use the right lenses. Use the right lenses. So we're going to start um, reading. And if you have your Bible, you can open it. You can follow the screen. And, and this concept that, that we see here in, in the first two 
in the first two verses has to do with when we wake up in the middle of the night, and this can be literally in the middle of the night, or this can be when you're driving. You know, a lot of people have gotten car accidents because the stress get in the middle of their driving and they run through a, a red light and they crash and they accidentally you know, murder someone or kill someone or they themselves got hurt. So it can be literally in the middle of the night or it can be during the day. What to do when the stress gets in the middle of your peace. That's basically the concept. So he starts, picture him, he wakes up in the middle of the night, he said, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. So when he wakes up in the middle of the night, and let's say he was thinking at a personal level, Man, um, I just got this email from my doctor, and it's a bad news. And he wakes up in the middle of the night thinking, what am I going to do, right? So his reaction, his reaction is, I'm going to use the right lenses to filter this situation. And the two, the two first verses is him trying to see what's happening with him or with the whole congregation of Israel through the lenses of faith. And that's why we see there, I cried out to God. Probably some of us, if we're writing something like this, we said, okay, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking in bad news that I just got the day before, right? And probably the first thing that some of us are going to look at is, you know, Facebook. Yeah, right? Just picture Asaph, you know, oh man, I woke up in the middle of the night, and what am I going to do? I'm thinking of, man, this bad news, and I'm going to just check my Facebook and see if someone unloaded David dancing, like he did, you know, naked. (laughs) But he uses the right lenses for some of us. When we are in the middle of the night or struggling with distress, we use the lenses of work and productivity, and we start worrying and try to see things, the distress, through the lenses of work, and we put our hope in thinking that if I perform better at work or with my life, with my company, with my business, things probably will get better. And then we don't cry out to God. We just start thinking, analyzing, right? preparing, trying to resolve things from our productivity and performance worldview. Asaph's worldview was, I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God, and when, I, when I'm in the middle of the night with distress in my heart, with pain, I'm going to cry out to God. For some, the lenses are the culture. And I didn't find a Colombian one, so this is from the 4th of July. <laughs> so culture, right? Culture, and sometimes we don't see it, but this culture, I mean, our culture, my culture, Colombian, or, or I don't know how, what, I'm, what I'm, I am now, honestly, <laughs> culture drives the way how we see life. In Colombia, when you are in distress, this is a family situation. When someone is going through pain, it is a family situation. My culture 
in Colombia says that if you are in trouble, it's because you probably did something wrong and your dad, your grandpa, your grandma is going to come and tell you, what did you do wrong? I told you so, right? In the American culture, probably we look this, at distress with the lenses of, if I have the resources in my hand, everything is going to be fixed. Even as pastors, and this is a confession, personally, when I was in Colombia serving God and as a seminary student, I had nothing. All I had was my friends and my prayer. And ask God, God, would you provide? I was a seminary student first semester. They kicked me out of the seminary. I was living on campus because I didn't have money to pay for it. I was in debt. Going into second semester, I didn't have anything. My family, they, they, are not, they weren't believers, so they thought that me being a Christian was, a, was nuts. So they weren't supporting. All I had was pray, God, you call me here, what are you going to do about this? And he did it. He provided. I would love to explain more of that. But all that to say that from the American perspective, when I came to America, you know when you go to security in the airport? I felt like that thing, how you, how you call that? A metal detector or whatever. Yeah. They put me in another room because they saw I'm from Colombia, so they took me into a room and interviewed me, literally. I felt that when I crossed that thing, my ability to trust God at, a, at, at the supernatural level, the miracle level, kind of stayed there. And I started to start walking as a Christian that was being called to be a pastor with the lenses of all I need is resources. And in America, you have resources. So all we need is a good worship leader good lining, good sound system, good projection, you know, the event, good building, AC, 70 degrees temperature, all those details. And you start trusting in resources. So when I'm in distress as a pastor at Westside, by the way, thank you so much for planting us. When I'm dealing with things over there, I tend right now to think with the lenses, probably, and I'm not saying that, that, that being an American is a bad thing. Believe me, it's, it's one of the coolest things that I have right now. I'm proud of it. But the tendency that I have now is, what, what should I do? How can I structure this better? How can I plan better? The last resource for me right now is cried out to God. Before it was the opposite. Before it was, I cried out to God. So Asaph is saying, I cried out to God. That is the first lens that he put. You know, other people just try to see life entertainment. And everything is, if you just go on a vacation, I think I'm going to be good when I come back. <laughs> if I go to the mountains, if I go there, if I go to you know, Cancun or whatever, I think things are going to get better in my relationship with my wife. Let's go on a vacation. And you go on vacation and you spend half of the time trying to connect with the people. Back home through our phones. We don't speak as much. We don't go deeper. So entertainment for, for many is the way how we deal with the stress. Right? So the right lenses. Lenses of faith. Lenses of knowing that when we say, when we said yes to Christ, everything is going to revolve around him. So when we got in distress, we have to say, 
Something is happening, and I know God is involved here. So the second thing that we had to do when we are in distress is search deeper. So Asaph is going through a hard time. We don't know exactly what's happening. We don't know exactly what's happening, right? Maybe the, he was competing with the other two guys to see who was going to be the worship leader that Sunday. I don't know. He goes and he starts, okay, what is causing this pain? What is causing this distress? Why am I bothered? And he goes from verse 4 to 9. And he says, I remember you, O oh God, and I groaned. Just think of that. The thought of God caused him pain. And we see that he's elevating. He's going to kind of in this experience of God is, the idea of God is not producing peace in my heart right now. I muse and I, my spirit grew faint. Imagine that. You kept my eye from closing. He was blaming God because he couldn't sleep. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remember my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Six questions, beautiful. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So this question somehow is what makes us think that the possibility of Asaph struggling with what was happening in Israel was also his own pain. He was transferring, if we can use that word, the pain or the situation in Israel and saying, God, why aren't you doing anything? Look what is happening with our nation. Probably he was also referring to a personal problem, but I, I tend to think that it was more a general thing that he was transferring to him as a prophet, which is one of the things that the prophet did in the, in the Old Testament. And then in verse 10, he concluded, then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. This verse 10 seems to be a positive conclusion of his searching deeper. So he goes deeper and he says, well, I'm going to try to find out what is it that is causing me this distress. And he goes and he asks a question. He goes and he said, right now, God, I'm not thinking like I should of you. You know, I'm upset. I groaned of the thought of you. I can't even speak. I can't even close my eyes. You're the one causing this. My eyes are, are open because of you. That's what he's saying to God in that moment. Search, searching deeper is so crucial for a healthy relationship with God because it has to happen. God takes his people to situations when our only uh, response to that is with a heart that is bothered, bothered by it, by the situation, but that is also looking at the situation with the right lenses. And when God is quiet, God is quiet through all this, 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 this first part of, of the psalm, 
And when he realizes, you know what? I know what's happening with me. Verse 10 says, to this I will appeal the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. This verse has been translated this way, but the Spanish translation, which I think it's the correct one, <laughs> I think so, says something like this. It is my grief, or this is my grief, that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Totally different. I'm going to read it again. This is my grief, or this is why I'm, I'm grieving. That the right hand of the Most High has changed. That is the translation that we see also in the RSV translation. And, and the Hebrew um, um, structure of this verse somehow takes us to, to think that this is a better way to translate this because his conclusion is that the reason why I'm grieving him, I'm not able to figure out why, is that I have now figured out that I am in pain because you, God, has, have changed. Meaning that his worldview of his understanding of how God operates in mercy and faithfulness is not the same as it was before. So he discovering his heart I know now that I am upset and I'm in distress because I'm not seeing God the same way. This happens to all of us. Sometimes we don't know that that's what is happening. We don't pray like that, cry out, and tiring hands in the middle of the night. Who does that? Honestly, we don't do that because our worldview of God is different from what we believe. We just sang, it is your breath in our lungs, right? And we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise, right? And are we really syncing that with what is happening in the middle of distress within our lives? That's the question that he's dealing with. There is a disconnection. So he concluded, it is, it is because I think you have changed that I'm in pain. So he realizes, oh, it is my mind. It is in my heart. It is in my understanding. And he moves. And then he transitions. He discovers. He has searched deeper the pain. And he discovers that it is because his idea of God has changed. God is still the same. But it's the idea of God. And then he moves. And then he said, then, verse um, 11, I mean, he said, I will remember that these of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on your works and consider all your mighty deeds. So what he's doing here is he's remembering. The third thing that this psalm is teaching us is we have to remember when we are in distress. And this is something that we don't do. We don't do this about God. We don't remember what God has done for us. We don't remember the last breath of error that we just took, and that came from God. We don't remember the time that we were, you know, in a bad situation and God provided. Two years ago, I got it, I was in the sleeping and I heard this knocking on my door so tight, so hard at around midnight. And my mom was living with us back then and she was just crying and scared me. What happened? And she said, the baby died. 
So I can't believe it. What was happening is my nephew, uh, he was two years old, two years ago, and he was, um, with a, he was born with a heart condition. During those two years, I prayed to God. I mean, I have morning uh, prayer with my, I'm, I'm my own, uh, fasting God. Every time that he was in a surgery, I would fast, I would pray, I would ask God, please, save his life. Save his life. Why don't you deal with my brother through something else? You know, break his arm, but not deal, deal with the baby, honestly. In two years, the baby was in the hospital since he was a one-year-old, and he was in and out. When the baby died, that really touched my heart, and I was in this type of conversation with God. I didn't pray anymore for a while. I was dry in my faith. I was just doing things by the emotions as a pastor. And then God said, well, what, are you going to stay there? Are you going to just asking those, stay asking those questions? And, and what happened in my heart was I have to remember when in other situations I asked God for something and he did it. And this is what somehow Asaph is trying to teach us. Remembering the goodness of God in the past will always bring comfort in the middle of distress. And if there was a advice, recommendation, command from God to his people in the Old Testament was remember, remember, remember. And then Asaph is doing this, and he goes on, verse 12, he said, I will meditate on all your works. I will meditate. Meditate, the Hebrew work, somehow it's almost stopping and start repeating, repeating. Meditation for them was that. It wasn't a, I'm going to get quiet and, and, you know, start thinking of other things. It was really start like, um, you said, like, like, going like this. Possibly he was saying, Oh God, I remember now when you uh, just let Moses out of out of Egypt and and through the open sea and all that. He was just med- that's meditation in in the Hebrew religion, to put it that way. So he said, "I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds." Do we do that? Do we remember your ways, O God, are holy? What God is great as as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. This is a, a key aspect of our relationship with God. We need to keep believing that he does miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters, then he goes to a more um, uh, mythological, that's how you say, way of describing this. He said, the water saw you, O oh God, like, like Narnia, type of language. He's using that type of language. The water saw you, O oh God, and the water saw you in white. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning light up the world. Imagine that. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. You way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. 
This is when he recovers. And he said, God is always leaving a footprint in front of me. There is always a pathway. Another translation has that. Even the pathway was not seen or was not known by me. So, and this is when the psalm becomes encouraging and hopeful for him and for us. And he said, you let your people like flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So, remember, that was for the Israelites, what happened with Moses in Egypt is the same thing. Is, I mean, has the same value and way that has the crucifixion for us, the believers. So when, when we think of, of the crucifixions, this is kind of what they were thinking also in back then. That was their Passover. We have our Passover, which is Jesus. So the invitation is, let's remember what Jesus did for us. Can we encounter hope in the crucifixion of Jesus when we are in distress? Just, just, just think for a second of, of what it means now, the crucifixion of Jesus. For many of us, it is an event that happened 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, that had an impact when I understood my own need and that had a future impact when Jesus comes back. That is almost the application that many believers give to the crucifixion of Jesus. But the idea is that we have to remember that the grace of God shown at the cross is a daily thing available for us. Why? Because that day Jesus poured out his love 100%, everything that he had, not just committing to our well-being in the future, but also being with us in this moment. So when we are in distress, remembering the love of God at the cross should bring comfort to our hearts, should bring peace and rest. In other words, we should be able to wake up in the middle of the night thinking what's happening and kind of start thinking, God, you love me. You love me to the point of dying for me. What else should I be worried about? And I know there are bad news that sometimes are, seem bigger than what Jesus did for us, of the love of God. But we have to make sure that we bring that love that God has for us to that level of comfort and peace because if no, distress is going to be above us. So what do we do when distress wakes us up in the middle of the night? We use the right lenses of faith. Our worldview as believers is Jesus and God is in control. We search deeper to identify what is bothering us. And we remember what he did for us at the cross. That should bring comfort. Let us pray. Father in heaven, uh, I know that distress is... is it's a reality that many experience, Father, and, and maybe there are some here that are experiencing that, Lord, at this moment. 
bad news has come or something like that. Father, and, and, but we also know that in the future, things like that will happen to us because that is somehow a promise that we have as believers that in this world we will have trouble. So, Father, I pray for those who, who need to search deeper, who need to cry out to you, and who need to remember, Father, that the love that you have for us will be sufficient, that your grace and compassion will be sufficient today, Father, and that will bring encouragement for the future. Prepare our hearts, Father, for things in the future, Lord, and distress might wake us up in the middle of the night so that we will remember what you have for us and your love and your care for us, Father. Amen.